All right. Well, uh, good morning. Good to see you. Matthew 28. That's where we're starting. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to that spot, and we will uh, we will get to it shortly. Some of you had to dust off your Niners jersey. Haven't worn it in a little while, but uh, today's the day to wear it, so congratulations, Niner fans. Um, <clears throat> we are looking at, uh, right now, we're in a series just about the church and, and looking at what goes on after you believe but before you die. So in this period of time where you become a believer, how are we to live? What, what goes on uh, with all of that? A Sunday school teacher once asked her children just before she dismissed them to go to church, and why is it necessary to be quiet in church? And little Johnny replied, because people are sleeping, right? <laughs> so some of you have had that kind of church experience. Uh, maybe you grew up in a church where you slept. Um, it's a small enough place that if you're sleeping here, I'm going to do something really, really fun to you. So be careful here. Um, I used to have a guy at Valley Church who would fall asleep. He actually had narcolepsy. He would fall asleep in the balcony. And uh, I literally couldn't watch him when I preached or else I would bust up laughing. It was the funniest thing to me that he just was sawing logs uh, as, I'm, as I'm preaching away. A few weeks back, we talked about the, the, the church as a family and what it, what it means to live as a reborn person in Christ and, and what that talks about. And the beautiful imagery of family and God is our father and that we're brothers and sisters this picture of membership and what we're celebrating here really, really speaks to that. We also talked a few weeks back about another biblical metaphor, which is that the church is a living organism, and the church often is referred to in the Bible as a body, and that we are all individual members or parts of the same body. There's one body, one church. And so this informs how we grow. It informs how we function, and it, it informs even how we govern ourselves. Because we're a living organism, we're, we're not something that is static and stale. And then last week, so good to have Glenn here, he just reminded us of the global nature of this entity called the church. And from Zimbabwe to Alaska to, to all around the world this morning, the risen Jesus Christ is being celebrated and worshipped. And it's going to look a lot of different ways. It's said in a lot of different ways. There are many different kinds of traditions and yet you could go to many places in the world and find instant camaraderie with people who hold the name of Jesus. And that's just a powerful thought um, as we think about it. This morning is about uh, the church. It's www.church.edu. And uh, EDU stands for Institutions That Educate People, right? And so if you see that on a website, you know usually that's a university or a college or something of, of that nature. The people of God, the church is to be sharing, promoting, and stewarding the knowledge of God. Think about this. In the Old Testament, God gave to his people, God revealed to his people the law, right? He gave them that and gave them that to steward that. It was going to be a blessing to the nations, but he entrusted it with them. If you think about it, if individuals make up the church, that means this, that if you're a Christian today, if you've named the name of Christ, then you've been entrusted with the knowledge of God. Right, And as disciples, we're to be making disciples. As disciples, we're to be growing as disciples. So individually, we're stewarding the things of God. And then collectively as the church, and, and specifically this local church, let's just say, we are stewards of the knowledge of God. So that opens up a whole bunch of questions and a whole bunch of, um, of situations that, that we need to think through and, and talk about. How are we to impart this truth? 
What does training or education look like? What is your role in learning and knowing? What is the role of leaders within a local church in terms of knowledge and learning? What is God's role in all of this? So it just helps to simply talk through what are we doing here. This series really in some ways um, reinforces and, and, and figures out why are we gathering once again. And, and lest it seem just obvious, we want to look at, it, at the scriptures and, and, uh, and see what they have to say. I know you're in Matthew 28, but, but 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this. This is a little helper for this morning as we start off. It says, think over, this is Paul writing to a younger pastor, and he's just given a few different examples um, of, of really the Christian life. He, he uses word pictures, much like a lot of preachers do. And he says this, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The command there from this older pastor to the younger pastor is this, think. Do the hard work of thinking over, mulling over, chewing on what I am saying. And then there's a promise there. It says, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So there's a command, think, and there's a promise. There's going to be illumination. You're going to have understanding. One of the great metaphors of becoming a Christian is going from a kingdom of darkness where we're blinded and bumping into things and stubbing our toe into a kingdom of light where God has shown us the way. So the command is to think. The promise is that there's going to be illumination. What's the little word connecting those two ideas? It's the word for. You could almost read it this way. Think over what I say because the Lord is going to give you the illumination or the understanding. Isn't that a great promise? Do you note that it's not just God's just going to tell me what I need to do? So bring it on. I've got the chips. I've got the dip. They're on my belly. I'm watching a game. Come on, Lord, bring it on. Just illuminate me. People, you talk to people who've had great revelations. You talk to people who've had, who've made major shifts in things. It was a long and winding and often painful road. A lot of times just in solitary. A lot of times just putting in the hard work of thinking on things. So think, and then illumination is going to come. God illuminates through the process of thinking. So that actually informs, at the start of what we're doing here, some important truths. I don't care whether you're young or old today. You are going to have a challenge at some point, it's probably already happened, of staying focused on what I'm saying, right? Here's why. The brain can be doing so much more right now than just what I'm giving to you. We could have about five people up here, and your brains are so fantastic that you could actually kind of track with with those different languages, I mean, with those different people speaking. So because of that... um, Any one person standing in front of you, trying to hold your attention, with only one screen that isn't moving very often, can be challenging, because you're you're kind of thinking about some some different sorts of things. So my challenge to you, my, my call to you, my invitation to you is this. Think on these things. I don't know if it helps you to write things down. I'm a great note taker in church. Now, I know that looks really spiritual, and you're like, well, but you get paid to, you're the pastor. That's not, that's not it. Here's why. I've always been a good note taker in church. Here's why. I have a brain that wanders and goes a million different directions much of the time. So for me to jot down my notes, to write things down, to constantly, that's a way for me to stay engaged. It's like me buckling up and saying, I want to go with this train where it's going. And I know if I don't do something actively to get on that train and stay with it, 
I'm going to be off hiking in the desert or in the woods or finding a little snail or something, right? That's just how my brain goes. So I've given you some open notes today. Sometimes it just helps to doodle or draw, you know, something. If you have a question about what's being said, man, write your questions down. Go and talk them over afterwards. A lot of times the way God works is it's not even something that I've prepared and I've said and I've been praying to share with all of you. It's something totally different that's going to come along Wednesday afternoon. But I wonder if jotting things down and just writing is going to help you stay engaged in things. All right, Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is the Great Commission, it's often called. If you're there, look at verse 18 with me. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 20. If you don't have this underlined or highlighted, you might want to. It says this, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Any conversation that's talking about the church as an educator, as a, as one who is, as an entity that is dispersing and, and stewarding the knowledge of God, we ought to land here. We ought to think about this. That, that, that part of our marching orders, part of any biblical church's marching orders, just like a football team's marching orders are to win games and eventually win the Super Bowl, the church is the same. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded. What happens if you only get part of the instruction? The other night, my wife asked me to do something. It was a string of two requests. I got a 50%. That's an F, right? I mean, she asked me to go down and move the car from way down the street of where my parents' house was and bring it up close so we could load the kids up. At some point after that, my brain, I went off finding snails, right? I did something else because she then asked me to bring something in. See, I still can't remember what it was. She asked me to bring something in from the car. Oh, jammies. Jammies for a kid, right? And that should just be like reflex now. If you come in from the car, you grab something. So I go and I pull the car up. I come in to get my A-plus husband award. Not really. I just came and sat back down. And my wife came and said, where's the jammies, right? That's part of, the, that's part of it. So it is with, with our Great Commission. We don't want to just get part of this. Hey, we went and made a bunch of disciples. Hey, we went and baptized them. We didn't follow up. We didn't walk with them for a lifetime. We didn't teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Let me ask you this question. If you're on this, you hear this for the very first time, how long do you think it's going to take to teach them to obey all that I've commanded you? Does that sound like a one-hour class on a Saturday? Is that a one-year discipleship program and then pretty much they'll be on their way? I mean, they had to think, what did Jesus teach us? Man, we only spent about three years with him. But we're going to take a lifetime walking in this, figuring this out, learning this. I'm certain they didn't boil it down to a worship service or to a class. We did a series uh, just thinking about and talking about the demands of Jesus on our life. Let me read just a few. We spent 20-some weeks in this. And guess what? We didn't hit them all. But here are some of them. We're to preach at all times. Watch over your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. If you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. The idea was that we're to preach at all times. We're to stand beside the lonely from Psalm 68. We're to influence our world by not being ashamed of the gospel. 
We're to remember him. Jesus says, this is my body, this is my flesh, which I gave for the life of the world. Remember me. That's one of the demands of him. Children, Ephesians 6, obey your parents. Be sanctified. Be fruitful and multiply. Love your enemy. Serve in unity. Love your neighbor. Love like Jesus. Be joyful always. Abide in me. Stand firm. Put on the new man. Believe in me. Be born again. Do you see why we called the series Demanding? It's not just demanding as in difficult to do all this. It's impossible. So as Jesus calls us to the impossible life, we look to him and say, only by your grace alone am I able to do this. Be joyful always. Love my enemy. I mean, just love my neighbor. God, we need you. So how come we didn't stop after 20-some weeks of teaching through the demanding series? Why didn't we just say, okay, our job is done here? Why? Because it's not just an hour that's required. It's not just some information that's required. All right, how about the Great Commandment? Flip over your, over your, in your Bibles to Matthew 22. The Great Commission is found at the end of Matthew. That's Jesus right before he's about to leave saying, here's what I'm sending you out to go and do. Go and make disciples. That's for every Christian. Collectively, it's for every church. But then there's also a Great Commandment. In Matthew 22, verse 37, it says this. A teacher of the law came and asked him what the greatest commandment was. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Then Jesus threw in a freebie. He said, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, with a sermon title that ends in .edu, and we're thinking education and training and learning and making disciples, and we live in a fairly cerebral kind of place where thinking and learning and education are highly esteemed and highly valued, praise God for that, I would venture to guess that as you hear this, you think that's right. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. So right away we might think that's where the church comes in for training and teaching and education and information and those kinds of things. But here's, here's where I would, I would push back on that. Don't we also need to be shown, need to be trained, and need to learn what it looks like to love the Lord our God with all of our heart? What does it look like to love our neighbor as ourself? Who are the people who are walking this, living this, that we can come along and say, I need what that person has. That person is doing what I think Jesus was talking about when he says, you do this. You love God in this way. You love other people in this way. You, you get it. You fulfill all the law and the prophets. They're all built on these two things. So don't be tricked into thinking today is really about um, school curriculum type learning. There's so much more to it. Of course that's part of it, that we're to renew our mind, that we're to learn. And what I don't want you to do is walk away thinking Dave's down on education or teaching. That's not the case. We're going to spend two weeks on this topic because I couldn't fit it into one. But what I want to get right away from is lift the lid from thinking, oh, this is the week where we talk about the the church going through curriculum or training up in some different doctrines. .edu is about these 
two fundamental truths, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, but also so much more. Anyone ever tell you that uh, something to this effect, um, that right now things are on an, a, a, a need-to-know basis and you don't need to know? Anyone ever had that said to them? Okay, what does that essentially mean, Les? Put it, put it in a nutshell for me. We're, right now we're on a need-to-know basis, and right now you don't need to know. Okay, so there's some information. We're gonna keep, we're gonna keep lockdown on who gets it. It's really important that this information, I mean, whole companies and entities are, are really, you know, focused on this and, and live and die by this. And you don't need to know right now. Usually you feel a little bit on the outs at that point, right? Maybe you've said that. Maybe you're the one that says that oftentimes. In youth ministry, I had a few kids that would roll through every single year and they would want to know the detailed plans of what's coming up every next five minutes. I would use this kind of a line for that. You know what? It's all handled. This is a retreat, and you're supposed to be relaxing. Stop worrying about it. We've got it handled. Let the surprise of what's happening in a half an hour come when it comes. Some people need that. But there's a second way of thinking through this. Uh, think back to our first parents for a second. I've got a, a little tree here on the screen for to kind of let our imagination run with this. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, got into trouble and were tempted and were led astray precisely because what they knew and what was true didn't match. They thought they knew some things. They were utterly convinced of some things. And what was actually true didn't line up with that. And so they were led astray. From the very start, there are some truths that only belong to God. So some of you have personalities right here that are saying, yeah, but what about, but what about this? And what about that? You know what? I love the inquisitive mind. I think that's a God-given thing and it's a great thing. It leads to lots of great searching. But at the same time, there are some secret things that belong only to God. And there's, there is a point in every person's life, whether you're a Christian or, or some other discipline, where, where you say, wow, maybe I'll never know this. That's really frustrating. And that's okay. But you really do need to know because of a few different things. You need to know because of this. You don't know it all. In fact, not even close. The world, life, relationships, truth, God, the future... What the spirit, soul, body, and mind, and how those all work together is utterly complex. Amen? Some of you are in a stronger amen point this week than in other weeks because life got really complicated for you this week. Maybe you're in a relationship right now and you're thinking, I don't even know what happened. Things were going along, you know, swimmingly here, and then all of a sudden we're just, I don't even know what we're doing, but, but, but we're, we're just not in the same place. What, what went on? Life is complex. There's lots to ponder. There's lots to chew on. Think about the Titanic for a moment. Someone knew that they had built the unsinkable ship. Many other people knew that it was a safe way and a fun way and a good way to travel across an ocean. And yet, obviously, what they knew and what was true didn't add up. So as we're cruising through life, there are seasons where we're very convinced we don't know it all. There are other seasons, often right around the early teens and other parts in life, where we think we pretty much have it figured out. I just saw a little wry uh, smile on one of our teens, and he's like, I'm close. I'm, I'm just so close. There's a couple of stones that are left unturned, but I'm right there. 
and then I'll inform my parents all the discoveries I've made. Um, but the, but the truth is you don't know it all. Here's the second thing. You need to know because you are in danger of growing numb. A guy by the name of John Dewey said this, people only truly think when they are confronted with a problem. Without some kind of dilemma to stimulate thought, behavior becomes habitual rather than thoughtful. I think this is so true. So easy to just get in a rut and start coasting and start living life based on how you've done it before. The recent crisis for me, many of you know, is my dad passed away. When my dad passed away, it was a long process, so it wasn't a shock to me. I've been processing this for a while. But when my dad passed away, it reopened and made me revisit some key things. What was the problem? The problem was death. The problem was that this pain and anguish kind of forced me to rethink and reconsider and reland on some truths. Here are a few things that I've dug up and rethought about. Death is an enemy. The world is under a curse that is caused by sin and that time is short. Those are some of the truths I've been chewing on. I've also been thinking about this, that this, meaning all that we see and touch and feel and smell and use our senses to to, to capture, isn't all there is. Joy comes in the morning, and God is in control. Now, these aren't new, profound thoughts. I've thought on these things. I've probably taught on these things. I've written about these kinds of things. But I tell you what, a crisis in my life has caused me to reopen the, the, the book on these things and reinvestigate and really think on these things. Is the hope of heaven real? Is there really joy in the morning? Praise God, yes, there is. That's where I've landed. That's where, I've, that's where I'm reclawing my way to. Now, everyone can get into a rut of regurgitating ideas without ever really thinking it through for themselves. Not just the Christian, right? This could be, this could be all kinds of different walks of life that just keep saying the same things, kind of parroting the same kind of thing. But for the Christian, here's what it looks like. It's building your faith on sand. You just say some worn out platitudes over and over and you kind of say the same little things and then bam, the storm hits you and you wash away. Amen. Amen, little man. Can I get a witness? The storm hits you and what's there? There's not a foundation. There's not solid rock. There's just sand. And all of a sudden you realize this. What I thought I knew, I didn't really know. My parents may have known it. My pastor may have known it. My really close friend that I admire and live with and walk with and spend a lot of time with might have known it. But man, I didn't really know that. Isn't that what testing does? It really tests us. It, it produces in us and shows us where we are really at. Number three, you need to know because of quite simply you forget. So much of our education is simply remembering or being reminded of deeply held truths. These truths that I've been kind of thinking through again, they aren't new to me. I didn't need someone to come along and, and inform me of something brand new. Hey, Dave, I want to tell you something. I want to enlighten you. God told me to tell you something that's just profound. Are you ready for this? God is in control. Depending on my mood at the moment, I may have said, duh, like, you know, of course he is. That's not a new truth. But I need to be reminded on this day, in this season, man, God is in control. And let that wash over me. 
All right. Enter the church. We're talking about what we need to know. How about this? Know what? What are we talking about? I think many people, if not most people, would, would immediately jump to this. Well, the Bible. We have the word Bible in our name, Neighborhood Bible Church. You come to church to learn about the Bible. No, not true. The answer is this. What we're to be teaching, the, the what of what we're to be passing on is something different. It's God. It's knowing Him and who He is. That's really the goal of what we're doing here. Now, is the Bible key to that? Nod your head yes with me. Yes! It's paramount. But in thinking through my dad's life, I said this on Thursday, but my dad wasn't in love with the book. My dad was in love with the God that this book extols and points to. How silly it would be to miss that and be in love with the book and give the impression that what we're walking away with is, man, if I can just master this, I've got it. That's all I need to know. That's woefully short. I think this idea that we come to church and we, and we need to learn the Bible, we need to grow in our knowledge, and we need to, to, to learn some things, comes from, from maybe this idea. If I were to ask you, if you were a parent or a soon-to-be parent or a hopeful parent one day, do you want a good education for your kids? Most would say, absolutely, I want a good education for my kids. Now, if you follow that up by saying this, what does that look like? I think most people in our context would say something about this. They would talk about a good school, a good teacher, a good degree, good content or curriculum, right? And, and that's where our brains would naturally start, start to point toward, none of which are bad. But, but realize that worldwide, and especially as we're talking through and thinking through a different mindset of people who wrote this, that Greek knowing, Hebrew knowing, and our knowing don't always line up right away. If the average person here says, what's a good education, and they go right to academia type things, school, there are other places in the world that that would be the last thing that they would go to. They'd go, oh yeah, that might be an add-on. But they might jump right to life experience. They might get right to a relationship and thinking about knowing this person. If they could just get around this person and spend time with them, man, that would be a really good education. Jesus in John 14 was talking to his disciples and he told them this, that you know the way to where I'm going. The heading under my Bible when I read this earlier this week said this, Jesus comforts his disciples. And I think it's a misnomer because actually he was freaking them out. He was talking about the fact that he was going away and, and there was some speculation. Is he talking about suicide? What, is it, what does all this mean? And finally, Don, Thomas says this. He says, wait a minute, time out. Does it, not anyone else want to ask this question? We don't know the way where you're going. What are you talking about? Jesus answers him this. He says, yeah, you do. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What he was saying is this. You know me. And that's enough. I'm a path. You walk in that. Totally different mindset than what are the directions? Give me specifics. What's the link to the GPS so I can get the exact, you know, pin drop and and get there? Different way of thinking about it. Now, I want you to tell me what is on the screen. What is that? Anyone know? Cat, dog, ultrasound, rabbit, wolf. Okay, now, now you're just guessing, people. 
of course you shouldn't know what this is. The reality is there's not enough edu- you know, in- information here, right? Um, some good guesses. You guys are definitely on the right track. Um, tell me what you know about this. Okay? What is that? Raccoon. Okay, what do you know about raccoons? Let's hear it. They like chocolate. They're vicious. What was that, Chris? They get into garbage. Yeah. They like to hang out at night. Okay, so so we can go on with with, with some different things. Um, anyone ever see a, a raccoon at a zoo? Where? Which zoo? Okay, there you go. In China, German shepherds are in the zoo. So I I, I totally believe that. Um, most of us, unless you've been to a Mexican zoo lately, haven't learned about raccoons from the zoo, right? We may have read about raccoons. We may have seen a raccoon on a flashcard. You may have come semi-close to a raccoon uh, while camping or something. There are some in this room um, who, had, who had an experience a few years ago on, on a trip, one of our early church campout trips. And, uh, and we were all there playing a, a night game, just sitting around a table, some cards or something like that, uh, when all of a sudden we heard some noise. And as Chris pointed out, raccoons love to get into the trash. And so we, we shone the light over, and there was, there was a raccoon, you know, there. And so we kind of got up and shooed this thing away. And then we went back to our game. And there was kind of a hush that fell over. Some tumbleweed rolled by, and we heard this. We heard that. And... <laughs> And we could just kind of sense there was something going on, and we turn the flashlight, and there's a there's a there's a uh, another picnic bench that's just a table that's just really close to us, and this little masked person was there with like seven of his buddies. They're all there on the table, and they're like staring at us, and we're like, "Whoa, confrontation!" And so um, I don't remember who it was. I know Jonathan was with me on this, but one of us got up to be like, "Get out of here, raccoons!" And the raccoons were like, "No." And the raccoons assume that like this, and they're all, rawr, rawr. they made this weird sound. And I got this raccoon with red eyes, because that's kind of how it looked. It was really, really scary. Um, and we finally, cha- we, we won, but barely. I mean, we barely beat off these guys. Um, so I, I had forgotten this, but at my dad's memorial service, I'm sitting talking with my Aunt Kay, his sister, his one and only sister. Uh, and this was brought up at the memorial. But my dad had a pet raccoon. Now, this only happens in Eureka, California in the 1950s, I think. I don't think this happens anymore today. Maybe in Mexico. Um, but when you think about raccoons for a second, there's some that have learned about it from, from books. There's some that have actually seen it. Most of our encounters, even if you've had you know, a little bit lengthier one where they come back and forth with you in your campsite, is pretty minimal. But when you have a pet as one, when you live with it every day, when you care for it, when you walk with it over time, you're going to know more about that thing, right? Then there could be someone in, in, in here that's a raccoon expert. And they're like, well, I actually work with them at the zoo, which they don't, aren't there, but I fly to Mexico. Um, and I'm an expert on raccoons. All of a sudden, we would have this different knowledge base of what we're talking about with, with raccoons, right? Here's the point of talking about raccoons in church. We learn more and know more by experience rather than simply by fact. So some of you have never been camping. You've actually never seen a raccoon get into trash, but you could envision it. Some of you have never been assaulted by raccoons or their buddies, but you could envision how scary that was and traumatic that was for me. Um, And then you've probably never had a pet, but, but you could envision it. But increasingly, as you have experience, actual experience, 
your knowledge grows with that. Your learning about that said topic grows in that. Now, there are some Christians today, and there were certainly some in the Bible times, um, that really were book smart, but they didn't know much. They knew lots and lots about the law and the prophets that Jesus just referred to. But then when he would sit down with Jesus, Jesus would say, man, you teach the law and you don't know some of these fundamental truths. Elsewhere, he said, man, you guys are great at like predicting the weather, but you can't, you don't know the signs of the times. You can't predict the first thing about life. Let me tell you about it. Let me illuminate that for you. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says that this kind of knowledge, and he puts it in quotation, marks puffs up, but love builds up. So there's a knowledge there that gets it more than just learning. Think about these biblical themes. Love, community, forgiveness, courage, faith. I could go on and on and on. These are better experienced than simply discussed. Tracking with me? Think about Sunday preaching, whether it's here or elsewhere. Sunday biblical preaching is not about me getting up here and saying, what information must I pass on? My prayer every single time I get up here and whoever stands in the pulpit in front of you is about life transformation, not information. I'm not interested here in simply just getting some facts onto you. I'll tell you what, that sounds appealing some weeks because that would be way less emotionally draining. It'd be way easier spiritually. I could just go and get my research done and then just give out in an an orderly fashion. But that's not what this is about. Think about midweek community groups. Midweek community groups promote brain wave activity, which is to get you thinking, to think over what is being said. But it's not just about brain wave activity. It's about body life. It's about experiencing these different things. Studying about forgiveness, studying about loving your neighbor, and then sitting next to someone that's really hard to forgive. They just keep wronging you. Sitting next to a neighbor that you go, why are they my neighbor? Why can I have neighbors more like them? And we have a grass is greener mentality. All of a sudden, walking in community. All of a sudden, receiving the mercy of someone. All of a sudden, seeing the courage of someone's faith that that wells you up and buoys you up to greater things. Man, you look at that and go, I could read about that all day long but I can't believe I got to participate in this Bible study on this night, and that just went on. Thank you, God. I get it now. That's what we're talking about. So if it's not simply the Bible, then know what? Turn to Psalm 111. Psalm 111, right in the middle of your Bible. And I want you to look at it while I read it, and then I want to hear from you about what stands out to you about this verse. Psalm 111.10. ESV translates it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. All right, just some basic observation. What stands out to you about this verse? Let's hear it. You don't need to be deep and theological. I realize you just read it five seconds ago. What do you see? Don't mess with God. Okay. What else? Okay, there's a beginning point. Yep. What else? Okay, putting into practice. Yeah, linking the the fear and the the practice. Anything else come to mind? What? Okay. Yep. Fewer to do, fewer to stop and 
think on this passage and just do some really deep thinking. Just go, God, I want to get this passage. What are some of the key words you might go and start to really study and say, I want to make sure I have a grasp on what that means and why this version translates it that way and why this version translates it that way. Just fire out some key words. What are they? Fear. Fear. What else? Wisdom. Wisdom. What else? Understanding. Understanding. Practice. Practice. Yeah. So, So here's what we're doing. What we're doing right now is just is just what ought to be doing in in our own quiet time in in together as a couple uh, together with a friend at a community group whatever we're just opening the word and we're just observing some things right now right and and then to begin to take a little bit step deeper and just go man I want to really understand what the word fear is because because when I think of fear I think of my red faced father who just you know screamed at me or did this or I think of my boss who I really fear my boss of ever being late because he goes into a tirade. Is that all that it's talking about, or is there something more? And so we start diving into words and thinking through, what do they really mean? God, what was your intent with this? And we start thinking and chewing. And then you say, well, how does this idea link to this idea? Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. Why were those sandwiched together, pieced together? How do those link together? How does that link together with something else that I'm reading over here? And this is Bible study. This is, this is starting to get into the word and understanding what it is. Is there a promise that I should be looking for? Is there a command here? Is there some truth about God that I need to know about? The reality is that fearing God changes what we know. Sometimes people, when they become a Christian, they say, I saw the light. The truth will set you free, Jesus said. And, and all of a sudden, there's, there's a whole new realm of wisdom that, that opens up to me. Already brought up, but thought and action are part of this whole deal. And you can't separate those two. That's certainly reinforced in the scriptures. When it comes to what we ought to know, what we ought to be talking about, what the church ought to be dispensing, let me say this. that the, If the starting point is fearing the Lord, then a relationship with Him is key. So as we teach, as we talk, we ought to keep bringing it back to A, fear of the Lord, as this verse talks about, and a relationship with Him. Don't turn there, but just write this down. 1 Corinthians 15.1 I want you to listen for past language, present language, and future language in these few verses I'm about to read. Okay? Some of you are visual. You're like, put it on the screen. I don't have it. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15.1 if you need to see it. Otherwise, just listen. Past, present, and future language. Here we go. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Here's some of the past. He's reminding them. He preached a gospel to them. They received it. That's all past language. That happened at some point. He also is talking about historical events that are in accordance. They line up with the scriptures. Those are all past kinds of things. Here's some present language. He says, in which you stand. Right now, you stand in these truths that are from the past, that I already told you about, which you already received. You're right now standing in them. And then listen to this. 
and by which you are being saved. Isn't that present language? That means that right now, this gospel is transforming us. It's saving us. It's not an old, dusty book. These aren't old, old stories that get boring. These are the old, old stories that are transforming us right now. Listen to the future language. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you. What's that talking about? That's saying that it's saving you right now. And there's this future-looking thing of saying this. Press on in this. Don't give up in this. This isn't I prayed a prayer when I was seven and haven't thought about it since. This is if you hold fast. Keep walking in this. There's a future component that we're looking to see with all of this. This same thought is echoed elsewhere. We are stewards of the knowledge that we receive, that's past, and they affect us both now and in the future. Just write down Colossians 1.5. It says this, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard and understood the grace of in truth. The grace of God in truth. That's Colossians 1.5. Once again, just carrying on this, this first importance, this emphasis on the gospel, this good news. Colossians 1.9 says this, for this very reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You want to know, you want to think on and ponder what should we know? What should we be growing in? What should we be understanding? What does wisdom really look like? Write down Colossians 1.9. It's talking about his prayer for them is that they be filled with the knowledge of his will, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then verse 10 it says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the, of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. That Those two verses pack so much. But here's the big idea. Paul is not asking for these Christians to receive new information, new knowledge. Paul doesn't stand up and say, God, we just need to hear something new from you. You know what he's saying? He's actually praying that a proper use and working out what is already theirs in Christ would go on. Here's why I'm drawing this out for us. I think sometimes we are duped. We are lured into believing, I need some new tidbit of information. I need some new book. I've got this great new Bible study that came out, and I think that's the key to it. All of those may be fantastic helps, but most of the Christian life is not sitting around waiting for new revelation. It's not sitting around waiting... It's making proper use of the knowledge that we already possess in Christ. Anything we talk about with regard to education, and as we sit and think through, what did Jesus mean when he said that we're to teach them all that I've commanded you? Mind you, the gospel is universal, and in most of the world, we don't have access to iPhones, iPads, or printed Bibles in our lap. So what did that mean? How could this transfer to all of time. I knew this was going to be two weeks. It may have just moved to three weeks. I didn't speak fast enough. I want to leave you with something practical. I want to leave you with something that I hope 
put something in your hand to move forward in some things. When we think about what we're doing here on a Sunday morning, it's this, that any knowledge that we gain, whether it's from relationship or whether it is from something set up front or whether it's from a song that we sang, any knowledge gained on Sunday is an important part of a balanced meal. And we're going to get into this more next week, but here's what I mean by that. Remember the sugar cereal kids uh, and, and adults um, that had, you know, you know, Cocoa Puffs, right? And said, Cocoa Puffs is an important part of this nutritious meal. Now, what would it show with the Cocoa Puffs? Milk. Oh, oh, yeah, orange juice. I mean, just all these different things. The other food groups besides chocolate and milk, right? And chocolate milk. I mean, that's the great thing about Cocoa Puffs. Sunday morning is so much more than Cocoa Puffs. But the point of that picture is, is actually a good one for us, that, that if we relegate, if we think that this is all there is, I've come to learn the Bible here at church. I've come to learn the ways of God here at church. I come every week, all year long. That's about 52 hours of teaching, about 52 hours of sitting down and thinking on that. Someone can do the math, but I don't know how many hours are in a year but 52 of them, if that's it, then then it's woefully lacking. So our knowledge gained here is really only a celebration and a continuation and a launch point for all that goes on at home and in the car and at work and at school and while you're doing chores and while you're having an argument and while you're having a party, while you're enjoying a walk. It's a part of all of that. But it's an important part. Here's how I would challenge you to prepare for Sunday worship. Number one is this, simply by resting up. I believe family worship, and in fact in our house this is true, family worship begins Saturday night. I would would challenge you, I would invite you, I would implore you people, be praying for the servants who are going to be serving here on Sunday morning. Be lifting up the ministry of prayers and teachers, and servants, and preachers, and musicians, and sound people, and and not just for what we see, but all that we don't see. Pray for motive, and pray for their heart, and pray for their spiritual protection. Let your worship begin on Saturday night. A godless movie, partying, immoral actions or behavior, or gorging at a restaurant, which is an accepted weekend behavior with most Christians, is hardly a way to prepare for Sunday morning worship. Here's the second thing. Arrive early. I'll tell you, we need a lot of growth in this. We just do. Arrive early means this. It means that you're creating margin to serve and minister to people. What if you intentionally got here 15 minutes in part so that you could look around and just see, is there anything that needs to be done? the conversation I want to have with that person, I don't want to do it during the first three worship songs. I want to do it ahead of time. I long to see that person. So I'm going to come early. I'll tell you what arriving early also allows. It helps the children's check-in. It actually gives preference and deference to those who may be newer to things. Because it's not all clogged up right at the end. Arriving early gives you opportunity to park farther away, which gives preference to others. All right, number three is this. Prepare for worship by telling God that you're here to focus on Him. Psalm 86, 11 says this. Teach me your way, O Lord. 
and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. What if you arrived early? Some of you do this. What if you arrived early simply to be here, quiet your own heart and say, God, this is all about you. I'm focused on you today. That ties into the last one. Remember that you're here to give and not to receive. Tell God you're here to seek his face and not his hand. Say, God, I'm here to worship you. Listen to Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. The Bible speaks of bringing to God in worship. Ben, why don't you come on up now? Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning, even as we respond and sing, even as we give of, of tithes and offerings right now, Lord, I pray that we would seek to bless you. It's a given that you're going to bless us. Just being mindful of who you are and what you're about, you can't help but bless us, God. But I pray that our focus just now as we sing would be on being a blessing to you, on giving to you, I pray, Lord, that the continuation of worship as this service closes would be seeking to give, seeking to be a giver as you were instead of a taker. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.